The early success of CallRail was really based around that user experience, simplicity, small, medium businesses. And typically those are the things that you cut, right? You, you, you cut the refinement in the beginning. Oh, like this can be a little clunky, but it works. And that's a tough thing where the company's DNA is really built around user experience. And so we really did not try to cut that. I think it really came down to like, what features do they need to be successful for this version of it? If we say success looks like this, okay, that's a win. What do we need to do to make that happen? And I think that's how we made decisions. I'm Ryan Johnson, the SVP of product at CallRail. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Lapart, and today how Ryan Johnson is leading the product charge to perfect the tool around call tracking and analytics. All this and more on Code Story. Ryan Johnson is originally from Saginaw, Michigan, and now lives in Atlanta. He never imagined he would get into tech. In fact, when he was growing up, he wanted to be an orthodontist. He got into school and immediately saw how difficult the classes were going to be, so he switched to business. And that part of school stuck and came naturally to him. As a college elective, he took computer science. Who does that? He brags that his computer science professor still has his mortgage calculator program on hand, and it still works. Post-college, he worked as a broker for Equitable, as a financial advisor, and then supported law firms with their SEO. Eventually, he got into product and is still leading the charge there. He's married and has two young daughters, both in grade school, and he loves to travel and hopes to make that more of a regular thing as the pandemic slows down. He has an affinity for all things automotive as well, and has been into racing most of his life. Though he loves cars, he really prefers just to watch the races and not wrench on them. Ryan joined his current company many years ago and was charged to build a team to expand the company's call tracking functionality to essentially make it omni-channel with form, source, and message tracking. This is the creation story of CallRail. When I joined CallRail, they had been around for about six years. I think they were about 100 employees about that time, give or take. And I had made my way there through others that I worked with in the tech industry in Atlanta. About 15 or 20 of us worked for a company called Vitru, got acquired by Oracle. And so after the acquisition, we kind of all went off and did our own things. And then some of them came back together. And it was how I made it back to CallRails through that network, which was a lot of fun to work with people I really enjoyed with before. At that time, CallRail was really focused on what we call call tracking and analytics. And the basics of that is a lot of, uh, in in focusing on small, medium businesses and the marketing agencies that support them. Probably a couple years ago, you would hear, oh, the phone is dead, no one wants to talk on the phone. And for small, medium businesses, that is not true, right? They're very dependent on those phone calls. Uh, Certainly COVID proved that because we saw a massive increase in people using the phone because they couldn't go 
to these physical locations anymore. And so if you think of the broad spectrum of small and medium businesses, doctor's offices, exterminators, landscapers, all ends of the spectrum, um, they utilize that phone. And a lot of them obviously advertise and they market. And it's hard to draw that connection between advertising dollars I'm spending and the people who call me. That's where CallRail comes in. And so we do that through technology. So it can be very basic. We uh, procure a phone number for you. It shows up on a billboard. You know, you know, Noah, as you drove by on the highway, you call that number. We can attribute that billboard drove that phone call to your business. Uh, and the more sophisticated way is to have um, you know, something that dynamically swaps on your website. So if you and I go to a website for, let's say, the plumber, and you clicked on a Google ad and I clicked on a Facebook ad, we would actually see two different phone numbers if they were using CallRail's technology. It all routes to that phone number, which is theirs, but because we have that unique phone number that you called and I called, they can attribute, oh, Noah came from Google, Ryan came from Facebook, he was on this page of your website when he called. And it really gives it visibility to the small, medium businesses to make better marketing decisions. Uh, one of the founders, Andy, that was the premise of him starting it. He actually had another business at the time, and it was basically like a directory listing for European automotive shops uh, uh, across the country. And he had no way to know that these listings were providing leads to these customers, because again, you call your automotive shop. They probably don't have fancy websites, those types of things. And he said, there's got to be a product out there. And there, there was, but there were products for enterprise. There were products that were clunky. And he said, I need to make something affordable for small, medium businesses and the agencies that support them. And the UX is just amazing. It's simple to use. You don't have to be an expert marketer to use CallRail. When I joined CallRail, I'd say it's like phase two, right? So the business is going great. It doesn't end with phone calls. So as you know, small medium businesses have forms on their website. So how do we attribute if, guess what? Noah submitted this form on Monday. We called him back, he didn't pick up. So we called him again and we know that customer journey of, of Noah. It goes to chat, it goes to text messages, it goes to email. Um, and that's really where I started, you know, building a team to go build that functionality of, okay, let's, you know, we call omni-channel, right? So just not phone calls, calls, text, chat, email, social, those types of things that we're getting into. The other half of it is a product that we call Lead Center. And what we learned is a lot of customers were doing all this wonderful analytics inside of CallRail. They know where their marketing campaigns, uh, how they're performing. We're helping them run their business better. And then they go, can we just use CallRail to make these phone calls? Like, I got to use Vonage or I got to use Comcast Business. Like, I just don't want another tool. Years before my time, they, they had kind of a, a tool that you could do that. It was one of those things that had, I don't want to say a small shelf life, but it, it just didn't get the investment. It moved on. And we said, gosh, our customers are telling us what they want. This sounds like a good idea. And that was the other aspect of, of what we're focused on so that these small, medium businesses can communicate with their customers seamlessly and then understand all of the data behind it in an easy way to make better decisions for their business, better decisions for their marketing campaigns. And it really gives them that visibility to, at the end of the day, we don't want them to miss a lead. Every lead is really important for a small, medium business. And as you probably know, they have a lot on their plate. They, you know, they're spinning plates everywhere. That revenue is really, really critical. And that's where CallRail kind of comes in as that platform now to help them manage things better 
uh, both on the communication side, but also on the analysis side of, of making better decisions. Well, tell me about the MVP when you joined, which I think would be the omni-channel uh, portion of it. You know, how long it took you to build once you joined and, and what sort of tools you used to bring it to life? In product, we, we get so infatuated with roadmaps, right? Everybody wants a roadmap. What's the roadmap? We're going to get to that. <laughs> <laughs> we will get to that. And when I came into CallRail, I was a 100-person company. The founders were the product folks. And there was a small product team that started, but they were really driving that strategy. And they had this fear of, like we all do, if we publish this roadmap or if we put it internal, external, it's in stone, you have to go and do it. And I said, we have to explore these different things. So one of the first MVP was, was form tracking to say, okay, we need to bring in another channel. We want to track how these forms perform. We want to bring it into CallRail um, and, and kind of complete that journey. And where I like to start from is very aspirational. If we're going to go build the best thing, what is it? And they just got afraid. How, you know, we could do a two-year roadmap and they're like, Ryan, Ryan, Ryan. No, 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 no. Like, we don't want to sign ourselves up. And I, out of frustration, I just said, dang it, do you guys know what a concept car is? And they all looked at me. And like, yeah, I think so. And I said, okay, let's look at this as a concept car. Concept car, you see it on stage, you see it in an ad, you go to a car show. In some cases, all the windows are, are blacked out, right? They're tinted out. You can't see inside. Why is it? There's no interior. It's a concept of automotive design. Or you open the hood, there is no engine. And for whatever weird reason, maybe because I just love automotive, it resonated with them. And I said, I want to build a concept car. I want to build this thing very aspirational. And we're not gonna build everything there. Just like every concept car has never been built exactly to that spec. In some cases, it turns out way worse. Some cases, it turns out way better. Um, whatever reason it resonated, I said, okay, we're going to do a concept car. So with uh, our, our product engineering UX team, uh, we went to the drawing board and we came up with that concept car, like the visionary pitch of this thing to say, okay, and we time boxed it. I said, I just want 30 days. Like, let's go and look at it for 30 days. Let's see, you know, what we could do. And there were great ideas. It says, okay, form tracking. Sure, we need to know the form but many of these customers are gonna have a form provider. So how do we capture that data if they're using a third party? You know, some small medium businesses, maybe they're just starting, they don't have a form provider. Great, we need a WYSIWYG tool for them to build a form, or we need developer tools that could be more advanced. And we just started there. And then when we had that big list, we just started chipping it down and said, okay, MVP, we wanna get this out and test it. What is our alpha? And we time box that, I wanna say, it had to be three months or less. I, I, I feel like the first alpha was like a quarter and we put it out there. I think we took feedback for a month or two. We went to beta, um, got feedback from that. And then we put out our first, I would say paid MVP. Uh, and then from there, you know, we, we, we still build on it today, right? Uh, get customer feedback and, and improve it where we can. So I think all in, you know, between you know, the concept car and alpha beta, and you're, you're talking six to nine months um, uh, for that with an organization that's primarily focused on still growing this business um, that there, you know, there's a lot left to do there. And so it was really in parallel. And 
I can't remember if it was that product or, or one of the ones after that, but we were really purposeful in trying to shield them from the day to day. A lot of the engineers that went and worked on this were the engineers that built CallRail in the beginning. And because they are all knowing, they get pulled into everything, as you know, right? This goes wrong, this breaks, oh, you know, Jake or John or whoever, like they get pulled in. And we really had to get mature to say, we want to launch this thing. We're serious. It's one of the, the pillars of things that we're doing moving forward. Uh, and so we really need to, to shield that. And, and I think it worked when we did that. I mean, there's uncertainty, right? You know, you have fear of loss with other teams like, oh, I'm not on that team. So how important is this? And, you know, as we scale and grow, it was really up to us to say, like, this is a big portfolio. This is a platform now moving forward. And so we kind of applied that going forward. So with our conversation intelligence product, which you know can automatically do things for you based on a call recording and transcription. And then most recently with the lead center you know, communication tool, um, we really had to separate people out to do that because you can imagine you're, you're basically building someone's phone system on a computer, not easy stuff. Um, so we kind of applied that going forward. And I would say as far as tools go, you know, we use uh, target processes, our, our, you know, scrum, you know, tool and planning. I think when we did those things, it went back to whiteboards, right? And it went back to sticky notes and it went back to all that because it's just so fast, right? You know, it went from a, a two week sprint to a one week sprint. And, um, and, and so things I, d I think are pretty typical for all of us that have been in it. But, you know, we really went back to like grassroots, you know, roll your sleeves up and, uh, and really go all in on, on these new products. Before we move on from the MVP, you said something that piqued my interest, but it also fits into my next question. So, you know, with any MVP, you got to make decisions and trade-offs about, you know, what you're going to cut. So you set up your concept car, your long list, and then you cut the things off, right? How did you go about making that decision of, uh, or making those decisions about, um, you know, what you're going to cut or what sort of debt you're going to accept, uh, perhaps? And, and how did you cope with those decisions? The early success of CallRail was really based around that user experience, simplicity, small, medium businesses. And typically those are the things that you cut, right? You, you, you cut the, the refinement in the beginning. Oh, like this can be a little clunky, but it works. And that's a tough thing where the company's DNA is really built around user experience um, and information architecture. And so we really did not try to cut that. Um, I think it really came down to like, what features do they need to be successful for this version of it? If we say success looks like this, we can get form data that comes into call rail and that can tell the customer that Noah submitted a form and we talked to him on Tuesday. Okay, that's a win. What do we need to do to make that happen? And I think that's how we made decisions. Uh, and then of course, you gotta talk to your customers. They're giving you feedback. And I think CallRail is interesting. Small, medium businesses that I mentioned before, the dentist, the plumber, um, the real estate agent, uh, th they use the platform in, in different ways. They're trying to get to the same end goal, but they use it in different ways. So the feedback you get from them, you know, our product team, it like they really have a tough job talking to customers, right? And, and to say, gosh, like, you know, you know, Sally at the dental office, she was, she was saying this, like she wants this feature, but there's a problem there. And Bob over here, the landscaper, he's saying this, he's saying it in a different way. And so it's really putting forward 
solving a problem and trying to do it horizontally instead of just, oh, this customer said this, so we have to build that. And of course, in enterprise, that's super tough, right? The one that pays you the most amount of money has the loudest voice, so you build a lot of stuff for them. And, um, and that's really difficult, but in our space of small and medium businesses, it's just you have tons and tons of tiny voices. Um, and you really have to suss through that noise to be like, oh, this is the real problem they have. Oh, this is actually what we have to do. Oh yeah, we gotta change some priorities because now we understand it. Um, and it's tough, right? They, they're busy people, so even to get them on the phone to get that feedback um, is, is difficult. So a lot of that decision-making, I think, was really at the core of, we need this to come in to complete the picture for the customer. And you know, what is needed to do that. I think on the, you know, allowing them to build a form, we definitely made lots of cuts there. And if you look at companies out there, for that example, there's a million templates out there. There's a million customization. We weren't gonna win that game, nor were we trying to. We care about that data. Um, and I think that's applied to every product that we've worked on is, is really what's a really good user experience what is you know our goal for that alpha or the beta get it to market and then start to get that feedback and build that roadmap off of that go to that first paid mvp right you 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 got the mvp out there you're getting feedback how did you progress the product from there and mature it and and that roadmap question how did you build your roadmap and and how did you decide this is the next most important thing to build so at CallRail, we have a great partnership with our go-to-market team. So that's marketing, product marketing, sales, you know, anybody really customer facing. Um, you know, I always like to say it, they're on the front lines, right? Like they're taking that information, you know, they're getting the angry customers or they're getting the difficult customers and the hard questions. Um, and so a lot of that is getting feedback from them and partnering with them to say, okay, if we're going to take this to market, in product, we can think this is all the stuff that we need to solve, but we're not the ones out there selling and marketing it. So it's really important, especially at our size, to partner with them to say, okay, we have this go-to-market launch date here. What is the buying experience? You know, with, with CallRail, we were going from basically that single product to like the platform with these. And every new thing you add, it's just not about that product. It's about, oh, this customer came to call rail for call tracking are they ready for a lead center product are they ready to change their phone system on day one and so a lot of there were the scope just expands um, immensely to really help support them to say well it's not about the product it's not about these features it's really about that experience from coming from the dot com you know an ad they see to dot com to you know setting up the account going through a free trial um, and are they able to to really understand the, the value, you know, get to value quicker? Um, and so I would say percentage wise, you know, we, we had, I would say you know, 30 to 50% came from the product and engineering departments to say, hey, we, we need to build these things. You know, 20, 25% really came from direct customer feedback and the other, you know, 25, you know, 20% came from, you know, our, our go-to-market teams to say, in order us to feel really successful, we really need these things. Um, and and that partnership's just been wonderful. I've been at a lot of companies where, you know, it's like marketing and product and sales and it can be difficult, right? You hear the horror stories like sales is just selling stuff that no one's ever built. We've all been there, right? 
and and it's not that way at all. They sell what we have. They're super passionate about it. They they give us the feedback we need, and and that's an iterative process. So we try to do, you know, twelve month roadmap, and then we really hone in on like what do we want to do for the next quarter. And so we really try to commit to those things, and so they have a good、um, idea of you know what's coming down the pipe on a quarterly basis. Let's switch to team. So at Callrail, how do you build your team, and and what do you look for in those people to indicate they're the winning horses to join you? I love this question. I'm probably most passionate about organizational development in the team. Again, because product is such a unique part of technology and and even engineering for that matter. For me, and and I learned this, and I I think you'll probably get to this later about who do you look up to and who do you you know who did you learn from. But to me, building teams, you want to try to get the my the most diverse perspective out there, and it could be experience, it could be where they came from, it could be I mean, you know race, all that type of stuff makes a really big difference in building a product organization because I want to have a lot of people giving me varying opinions. Um, if you look at small and medium businesses, it's super diverse—the type of people, the type of businesses—and I went in thinking I have to build this product team in the same way、um, that they can understand different people's perspectives, and you know, they maybe they have a strong、uh, engineering background. So we have PMs that were engineers. Maybe they have a strong marketing background. They were in marketing before, or customer support, or success, or finance, like myself. Uh, and so, when we're looking at roles, it's it's really that game of chess to say, okay, we have this great opportunity to get an individual in here that has a totally different perspective than me and the rest of you, and I love it because they're going to tell me I'm wrong. They're going to expand our thoughts on on what we think is right. They're going to come in with this clear lens because once you've been at a company for three months, you have the blinders on. You know, your your head is in the sand, and. And that's really the base philosophy for me is is building these teams out that way.、Um, and I had previous leaders that took a chance with me where I was an engineering manager. Guess what? I've never been an engineer in my entire life. I took a CS 101 class. I did a Visual Basic mortgage calculator. Like that's it. I've done some HTML. They took a leap of faith because that person said, "Oh, I I want Ryan in this role because he's good at project management. He's good at this. He can help." Oh, I have the EMs that are. Hardcore engineers, they can build everything. I don't need Ryan to do that, and it, it just dawned on me. I was like, "Oh, okay, this makes sense." Like, get people with all these different types of backgrounds and experiences,、um, and I continue to do that, and and I really love it. I get blown away every time. Like every new PM that comes in, I'm like, "Gosh, you're like way better product manager than I am right now." Like that that ship sailed, and just their unique perspectives and. You know, they come from B to B. Do they come from consumer?、Um, you know, SaaS, Martech. You know, all those types of things. And so, you know, deep down, I try to do that across the board. And and I think in in engineering as well, like we do the same, right? You, you have so many different engineers. Sure, you have ones that go and get CS degrees and that type of stuff, and you have ones that were building companies in their basement at 15.、Um, and and you need all different types of those engineers. You need the scrappy ones that are going to go do that MVP, and then you need the ones to keep up the system for you know hundreds of thousands of customers and understand scaling and, and backend and all that. So let's flip to scalability. So. 
you know, with I'd say with omnichannel because that's when you came in. That's that's when you what you started to build. But even just in general, probably at CallRail, um, are things built to scale efficiently from day one? Or you kind of do you kind of fight this as you grow? So the base product, I think they knew in order for it to be successful, it has to scale efficiently. Um, if something goes down and someone can't call you, like the phone number doesn't work. It, they don't care about the attribution, the analytics of what things are working. They're like, hey, I can't get this phone call. What's going on, CallRail? So I think in the beginning, you know that the stakes are really high. You know, your company is down for half the day. Your company is gone. Like you've literally taken the way they do business out of their hands. So I think that, you know, the, the engineering organization really did an amazing job in, you know, the early years to do that. You know, I think the the efficiency of scaling over time, you know, UX as you build more things, it gets more complex, you get feature bloat, uh, and you have to check yourself with those things. And so, you know, I think there are certain areas we do a great job in from a scaling perspective, you know, the system is up, we're not having downtime, uh, but there, the, the system gets so broad and complex on is going on 10 years now, there's those things that you kind of forget about, like, oh, we'll push that off. You know, we have an 18 month time horizon. Ooh, COVID, we're 18 months in, like like a flash. We need to go and solve that. So ultimately, if you know, you want to scale efficiently, um, but it's challenging. And I think on the product side of it, it's, it's, it's challenging to scale for the customer. If you're going from a single product to a, a platform, things that were built five, six years ago, like where the settings are, <laughs> they change, right? Because, oh, we want to sell this product first and this one second. Oh gosh, the settings for them to do this is, you know, three deep in the menu. Oh gosh, we got to think about settings all over again. We didn't think about that because when they built it, they weren't building a platform. Um, and so those I think are the learnings and and I don't think that's very different than a lot of companies that go from a, you know, single product kind of point thing to, to a platform, right? They built it for that. And then you start building things on top of it and you're learning that, oh gosh, this doesn't scale for the customer. Um, and, and then, you know, hiring is obviously really important from that scaling perspective. Uh, and, and it's difficult, right? I, you hear all the stats right now about, you know, the great, uh, um, uh, what was the one I saw on LinkedIn a while ago, but you know, the, the great resignation, right? You know, 40% of people are going to get new jobs and all this. And, um, and so scaling, you know, going from, you know, just about four years ago, we were a hundred people in total. We're, we just crossed 300 last month. And, uh, and so the ways of doing things, you're starting to see where the seams, you know, aren't holding together. Well, okay. We got to like, you know, be open to change things. And we're hiring people, I feel, that understand those um, those growth things. So I think when we think about scale, sure, there's like the technology, the back end, do these things scale? Um, but we're kind of going through it, you know, from the product itself, from our employees, from the organization. And, uh, but that makes it fun. I mean, those problems, um, they're fun problems to have. I think, you know, in, if you compare it to like early startups where there's like success, failure, success, failure, you kind of get to that point. This is like your next phase of that is like, okay, how do we scale? How do we make these trade-offs? Um, and, and that's where we're at now and, um, and, and it's fun.
Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? I am most proud of a product that we built for small, medium businesses because the, the world has changed dramatically in, in the past 20 years. And I don't want to get on the, you know, the front porch and say, small, medium businesses, I don't use Amazon. Of course, I use Amazon. But where I live in Atlanta, it's very community-based. You, know, you, you start to learn the coffee shops and the people and, and all those types of things. Even though Atlanta is a really big city, there's lots of small, medium businesses. And what I'm most proud of is you have customers that use us every day. It's critical to their business. Um, you know, they, there's no long-term contract. They do a 14-day free trial. They can cancel any time. That's scary, right? And and in the fact that they keep on using it, we know their budgets are tight, and we're providing value to them, helping their business grow. I'm just most proud of that in general. And I ran out into this by I think it was the first month or two at CallRail. I moved back to Atlanta from Las Vegas and I'm hearing things in the attic. Oh gosh, squirrels. And I got referred to a small business. Crocodile Dave is who this is. I was like, all right, you say Crocodile Dave's the best. He's gonna, he shows up. I, just think of Crocodile Dave in your mind. Okay. It's not, it's not what you think. Just beautiful brand new truck you know, press shirt, like noses stuff, you know, informs me the roof rats, that's an Atlanta thing, so even grosser. So do the work, all that, and at the end, you know, swipes the credit card, all that, and he, he, where do you want me to send a receipt, Ryan? And I said, um, you can do it at ryan at callrail.com. I start spelling callrail. He's like, oh no, I know, I know you guys. I said, you do? I've been a customer for five years. And I said, wow, that's amazing. I said, well, what do you think? I love it. We set up our website. Our web developer said we needed this. It just, it helps us immensely. We love you guys. And I said, well, I run product. Any feedback? Like you open, you know, hit me. I want that. And he's like, Ryan, I just love it. And in software, that's so rare. Like, I don't think I've ever in my technology career just ran into a person out in the wild that's just like, I love your product. <laughs> and, and that's what really makes me super proud. The team is second. I'm really proud of the team that we built and, and continue to build. Um, and I'm really proud of the new products that we've built. A lot of times companies have difficulty of that base product and then how do we build these things? And so, you know, lead center and, and form tracking and conversation intelligence, those are all really, really hard things to do. Um, and to be able to build those and, you know, get them to market and see success and, and you know, knock on wood, none of them have been a failure. Do you want we, would we like them to be more successful in the future? Sure, but it was, it's nice to see in a bigger organization that you can be that agile and do those things um, and bring something new to the market because a lot of us weren't around for the first product to, to build to market. And so this is kind of that, you know, second chapter that we all get to go in and, and our baby out there, to, oh, like, and we're seeing it grow. and. And we're going through the trials and tribulations of feedback and, and all of that as well, too. So I really like those are my my three things that I, I'm really most proud of at, at CallRail. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. So tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. Today, or <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think this is funny. I, I, I feel I make mistakes in some way, you know, every day for the team and and. 
and I'm, you know, I've learned from my mistakes the most. You know, I think at CallRail, building the team is really interesting, and I have to make decisions based on limited information sometimes. You know this. Hey, we have a board meeting. We need to go and ask for more, you know, investment. Wonderful. Ryan, what do you need? What are the team sizes? What can you do? I can't go to the team and sit down and go through all the user stories and figure out exactly how big the team is. I And so you make these decisions to say, oh yeah, I think we can build this. I think we can build it in nine months. And I think we need five people. I get that wrong. The team likely calls that out to say, hey, we needed two more engineers or we needed a dedicated designer because the user experience is way more complicated. Um, so I think, you know, for me, I personally love when the team calls me out um, because that's how I learn. I know I'm not perfect. I don't expect perfection from them. I just want to learn. And looking back at my career in tech, I learned way more by, from the failures than successes. And I'm so glad there were some big ones early on because it really taught me more than if it was successful. And I firmly believe that. Um, you know, on the product side, I think, you know, we you try all these new things going from a single product to a platform. And so, you know, you, I think failure is relative. You know, there's like the complete failure, it didn't work or it just didn't work as well as we thought. And deploying those new products, I feel we had a lot of that. Well, it didn't work how we thought, you know, we bundled them together. Oh, the customer didn't understand that and the checkout was it. And so I think we made mistakes there where we were excited and, and I would say collectively, a lot of us did. And then we just course corrected and said, okay, it's not working. Data says it's not working. So what are we gonna do next to, to improve it? Um, you know, again, most importantly, like call us out. Like we, that's the only way we learn and it's the only way we grow. So what does the future look like for the product and for your team? So the future is really building that platform that allows our small and, and medium businesses to never miss a lead, never miss a, a opportunity. And you know, on the product side, it's building out the omni-channel, making sure that these things work. It's building out that communications um, you know, system that allows them to communicate with their customers in different ways that they wanna be communicated with. Um, and, and the future is really exciting about that. I've had experiences in, in my daily life that I was like, gosh, I can't go backwards from that, where, you know, being able to communicate with businesses that you work with in the way that you prefer at that time is such a powerful thing. Um, you know, I always joke about Amazon. They probably know where my kids are half the time, you know, on a map than I do, right? Like they tell you, you know, the, the echo tells you, I mean, it's just like overload. Um, but why can't small and medium businesses do that? And I think that's the future of the platform. We, we, we call it um, automation magic, right? So imagine the world where, you know, you would submit a form on the weekend, you get an automatic text message that, you know, they weren't open, but hey, Noah, we'll give you a call back. Um, or by the way, you can just set up an appointment here. Um, or we could be, you know, chatting on, on a chat or on text, hey, let's move this to a phone call and it's seamless to you. So as a consumer, you don't have to pick up, you don't have to do all these things. It's just a very seamless thing um, in the communication method that you prefer. And so I think that's the future of call rail is how do you take these things? And as a small medium business, we kind of talk about like, how can they manage this in a single pane of glass? 
um, you know, having conversations like we are here, um, responding to a text message, you know, replying to an email. Hey, someone on Facebook messaged me. Oh, I don't have to pivot to another tab. I can just directly respond on a call rail. And then by the way, I know where that person came from. I know the ad they came from. And, you know, so our goal is to really help these businesses grow um, and help them not miss these opportunities or leads. And and so there's a lot there, right? I mean, if you ask me, you know, okay, what are the, all the new things you can build? I mean, it's so broad, right? You know, you get into to payment systems, right? You know, do you want them to pay by text? You know, do you want them to, um, you know, do you want them to be able to leave a review? Think about those things too. You just got done with, with a conversation, you get hit with that text message. So, you know, for us, you know, we have to be careful not to build every single thing out there, but like what makes sense for our core customer um, to help them be more successful. And I'm, I'm really excited about the direction that we're going. We're really early, you know, a year into kind of that new lead center product, which is really focused on, you know, the ability to, to communicate via text message and, and phone um, in, in a great way. And there's just so much that we can do there, but you have to have a great phone and texting system before you can get to, you know, social messaging from Facebook or chat or, or those types of things. So I feel like we've just kind of, um, peeled one, one layer of that onion off with a lot more fun stuff to do here, uh, you know, over the next three to five years. Let's switch to you, Ryan. So who influences the way that you work? You know, a CEO, a, a product person, uh, an architect, really anybody. Name a person that you look up to and why. So one person is, uh, I, I think he would be embarrassed if I said he was my mentor, but when I was an engineering manager at, at Vitru, um, our, our director of engineering, Jason Reynolds, uh, he really showed me how to do all this stuff. I, I was never an engineer you know, how do I be successful as an engineering manager? And his passion for technology, his passion for the company, and like his passion for us, you know, that was, gosh, 10 or 12 years ago. Um, I say he has a misfits of engineering managers that we all were. We definitely did not make his life easy, but he understood we had all these strengths and weaknesses and he was able to apply it. And he was able to keep us accountable in ways I just never really thought of. You know, at that time it was, you know what, Ryan, I know you're an engineering manager, you're not in this product role, but you have to deliver software. I don't care how weak, strong, whatever that product manager is, you're gonna deliver software with them. So if you need to pick up the slack, if they're picking up your slack, you just have to succeed. And he didn't wanna hear any excuses. And I was like, okay. And I just did it and it was success and it was a lot of fun. And um, I always point back to him because in Atlanta, all of us that were a part of that went on to these Atlanta tech companies in um, leadership roles. And, and it's really interesting to see like these five people all went into these roles and are like leading product and engineering at this like next phase of technology company. I just don't know another individual I ran into that's been able to develop people that way. Um, so I really look up to him. I don't know how he survived uh, the, the five of us, um, but his results, it's, it's, just, it's just really uh, amazing. Um, I think when you look at product, there's a, a individual called Chris O'Donnell. He was the CPO of HubSpot. I think he recently moved on. Um, 
And his interviews are just really inspiring how he manages his day and what he focuses on. You know, you think of HubSpot, the success that they've had, certainly in my space of MarTech, like they're one of those shining stars. And, you know, he, he talks about how he splits his day, you know, 25% talking with product managers, not his VPs or director, product managers. And he tells anecdotes of telling young product managers, no, 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 you don't, you don't want to build new products. It's, it's very painful. There's lots of tears. There's lots of anguish. Like, it is much better to learn the product craft if you start with a product that's successful and that you can continue to build on it. And I was like, wow, like, here's a product leader saying, no, you don't want to do these bleeding edge things because you don't know what you want yet. There's a time to do that, but get some, you know, get some wins, you know, learn the process. Um, and, And that was just inspiring to me that it wasn't, you know, oh, I'm just with my leadership team. Like, I'm talking to new um, impressionable, you know, product managers that come into the organization, you know, another 25% was just recruiting, you know, and I think the other 50% was between like decision-making with the product and, and then, you know, working with the the executive leadership team. Um, but I just love a, a, you know, CPO at that level. That's just having those conversations. Um, and the last one, it probably sounds, uh, very corny, the leadership team at CallRail is the best leadership team I've ever worked with. I learn from them all the time. You know, Mary Pat, our, our CRO, Andy and, and Kevin, the founders, Mark, our new CEO. Like, it's just a wonderful team to work with. And I know kind of everybody says that, but like in my career, I have not worked with a better team. Um, we know how to keep each other honest. You know, we can argue, we can, you know, we can get into it but we have each other's backs and it's just interesting to get their perspectives, right? You know, where you have a CRO that says, hey, think about product in this way. And you're like, oh gosh, like you have experience in this. And and that's just, it's great to get people that you look up to that are on your team um, and in your organization uh, because you're just learning every day. You're you're hearing them, you're seeing how they interact with the board and, and those types of things. Um, and so it's just like that constant learning cycle, you know, to, to learn from, from all those leaders. Well, we talked about a mistake, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently or where would you consider taking a different approach? So I think historically, um, and, and I can't remember if I mentioned this with CallRail, but CallRail was bootstrapped, never raised money. Um, and from the onset, you know, the founders, Andy, Kevin, were like, I want to build a self-sustaining, profitable company, uh, which is unique in tech, right? You know, it's usually ARR and technology and all that. And, and that permeated over time. And, and even when we did raise money, it was still kind of that philosophy. We want to be profitable. We are profitable. We want to grow revenue. We're doing those things. When you do it that way, you tend to be conservative with how you spend money, though, because you could give up profitability. And I think if I could go back in time, I think I would probably press a little bit harder to pour gasoline on the fire, right? Early days, we were like, well, we're just going to bootstrap this and we're just going to take five people and do this. Um, it, you know, you have to make these decisions. It's a little bit of a leap of faith. And, and you know, I think, I, I think about what if we would have invested more in these things, you know, based on what I'm seeing now, like with lead setter, what if we went all in, you know, 10 more people, 20 more people, you know, 12 months ago, where would we be today? And, I, and so I think that's, 
you know, I don't know if I would change anything specific about the product. Sure, there's little features here and there, um, which I don't think is exciting to get into. But I think, you know, we always have to question ourselves the investment in research and development. And, you know, I think if I could go back, that's what I would do. Although if you went back 12 or 18 months, we were also just getting into a global pandemic. So, you know, we had no idea how it was going to, to transpire. Um, and so, but but I do believe if we would have went a little bit harder, it would be it would be interesting to see where we are today. Like, did we get through the challenges quicker? You know, are we having more success? Are we at a phase that, you know, I'm talking about in Q2 of next year, will we have been at it, you know, at the end of this year? Well, last question, Ryan. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. Can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit with CallRail? That's such a hard question. I feel like when, when you ask that, it's just like, I want to tell them everything, right? <laughs> just just like get everything out of my, my mind. And I've had scenarios like this where, you know, I've, I've been in, in Silicon Valley for a meeting and, and I, you know, ran into that new young person and, and he actually had a, a, um, uh, one of those um, um, projectors on his cell phone he created. It was the first time I ever saw someone like point to a wall and there's like football like off of his phone. Like this guy's, you know, the next Bill Gates. Like, oh my gosh, I, I don't know if anything happened to him, right? And and so he asked, and so, you know, for me, I want to give them honest feedback and support, right? I mean, if if you go in the valley and those types of things, there's so many companies you don't really know what's real, and and of course everybody's bought into them, but I. Just like I want people to be real with with me, it's that like authenticity. I want to be authentic with them. Say, yeah, I, yeah, this is great, and this is why. Or you know what, like refine this more. Um, I think it's important, you know, to give them that honesty because they're getting so many inputs, right? And you have investors or potential investors, you have early customers, and there's just so much coming at you. You have to like suss out like what direction you go. And I think after that, I would say, focus on the customer, like talk to them till you're blue in the face. Um, don't build everything they want, but like you really need to understand the problems that they're trying to solve. And and I think third is at, you know, assuming the company gets successful, think about how you build that team and scale. There are different people that come in at different times that really like that level of scale. I love coming into a company that you know was a hundred people you know you don't have to worry about where the paycheck's coming from they got over that hump right and they say you know what we have this homegrown product team we need help scaling it we need help um you know maturing it like come help us like that's super super exciting there's people like me that really like that i don't have it in me to go to a 10-person startup anymore i don't i i and and so i think that's the advice is to look out because it's very uncomfortable like you know, our co-founders had to give the reins to me to say, how do you operate product now? They were product people. You know, thankfully, they were willing to to trust me and really just said, shoot, if you feel that way, go to town. And, and I did. And um, but I, I think that's important for early founders is like, you know, they, they talk about picking your co-founder, which is super important. But I think those next ones and the next ones and the next ones, they're all really important. And you have to be very cognizant of, uh, okay, I'm at 50 people. What's the profile person there? I'm at 100 people. 
met a thousand people. And I think all of us kind of, once we figure out what we're good at and what we're enjoy, we just, we kind of go there. And I think as a founder, if you can find those people to support you, like it, it makes your job incredibly, you know, much more easier. And, and I think the company is, you know, has a better chance of success because you've has, you know, you have that domain knowledge coming right in to help at that phase um, that you're in. And I think a lot of early founders, like it's, that's a tough thing, right? Because you're, you're giving away pieces of your baby to people and, and that's a very, very tough thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Well, Ryan, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of CallRail. Thanks for having me. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash codestory for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.